nine o'clock. Hi, welcome to In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor, where we talk about millennials and this crazy world they're adulting into. Hey guys, welcome to episode number nine, where I have the opportunity to interview Maureen Brennan. She's with Brennan Family Consulting. She's been educational consulting now for 13 years. She got her master's degree in experiential therapy at New York University, did a lot of work with inner city youth in New York City, avid skier. I like Maureen because she has a really great way with words. She knows how to drive a point especially around really touchy topics. She's way into rock and roll. I think our most controversial conversation we ever had was about Van Halen. She's David Lee Roth Van Halen. I'm Sammy Hagar Van Halen. We've been able to work out our differences and move on. But uh, if you don't know about Van Halen and you're younger and you're listening to this, please Google Van Halen and prepare to have your life changed. So we talk about helicopter parenting in this interview. We talk about standardized tests, college education, and most importantly, grit. She's got a great story of when she was young and her father took her skiing, which I was really looking forward to hearing again. Please check it out. Uh, The sound is a little bit off in the beginning and at the very end. The bulk of the interview is, is good. And hang with us here. I'm trying to record this stuff from deep in the jungle of Costa Rica. And the fact that we even get what we get is amazing. So don't, don't, uh, don't give up on the interview. The main points are there. I hope you enjoy and thanks for listening. Maureen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Good to be here. What got you into educational consulting and, and why, why do you do it? Um, I, I do it because I think I struggled a bit. Well, I know, I know I struggled a bit in high school and kind of where do I, you know, why aren't I doing quite as well as my peers? I know I'm as smart. I know as I'm as, as, you know, kind of academically capable and all of that. I just kind of struggled along because I didn't fit in sort of that box of what a student's supposed to look like. Um, in all the traditional sense, Catholic school, of course, just amplified that in my opinion. But, um, so I didn't really have a, a real love for that, the academic part of my life. So I kind of, I sort of strayed, went to college, of course, didn't really know what I wanted to do and kind of floated around for a bit. Um, but, you know, as I was trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do with my life, um, you know, I went back to what always did keep me grounded. And that was uh, sort of sports and um, activity and life and enjoying life and all of that. And, and I started to get involved in, I, you know, I got my master's in therapeutic recreation um, and, and with, with the hopes of sort of working with physically folks. Along the way, I stumbled into a middle school in Harlem and um, what was lacking was sort of a, a rich life outside the classroom or even inside the classroom and speaking to to kids that didn't learn sort of traditionally. So um, it's a much longer story, but what I would say is, is, is sort of encountering kids that were so great in so many ways and gifted and had such potential, 
fit in the box and therefore they started either experimenting with drugs or skipping school or starting to show some depression or anxiety and it just I didn't feel it had to be that way if they were in the right environment so um, that was a, a short short trip down memory lane but that's really the gist of it you describe yourself on your website or your website you, you and you just touched on this as a non-traditional learner and someone who struggled in high school and you just touched on that but but tell us a little more about that you know like you said like and I can relate like you're smart you had opportunities but you were you were kind of feeling like you were floundering what why do you think that was well I said, you know, a traditional classroom as we all have seen it, and I think it's changed quite a bit since, you know, seven. So back in the 80s, I was in high school, but it was, you know, it was it was sort of by the book. This is what you do. You sit in your classroom for an hour. You have seven minutes to get to your next class. There's, you know, a lot of sitting in a row and listening to a teacher talk. I just didn't learn that way. I, it didn't it didn't sink in. It didn't um, fuel my sort of learning, um, you know, fire. And I did have a couple of teachers that were sort of those ones you you know you see on YouTube or you read on the internet that you know would bring something very experiential into the classroom, a, a more hands-on approach. And probably why I actually did pretty well in like biology and those kinds of things. And where you really could get your hands on it, you were sitting around a table talking to other students or talking to your teacher, and and that's really what was lacking in in, in most of my you know most to my high school for sure and then you know college I chose a major that you got to do that I chose anthropology because it was more of a discussion type of uh, major and, and getting out there and sort of exploring and seeing other um, cultures and that kind of thing so you know I think I was fortunate enough to 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 have the um, wherewithal to know I had to explore what was going to work for me whereas I think and I had parents that were like well you're, you're sort of on your own so you better figure it out um, <laughs> rather than a lot of the clients I think, which is, you will do it this way, this is how it's done, this is how you're going to get your, your degree at a very, you know, prominent university, and you're going to go on to support yourself, and blah, blah, kids just can't, there's many that just can't, you know, succeed in that environment, so, you, you know, you've got to open the world up to them. For the kids that do struggle in that environment, and, and, you know, and I honestly haven't done a lot of research on this, don't know a lot of the history of it, but, but there's arguments out there and I, I pick up, uh, I pick up what I find on Facebook or, you know, what's in my social media stream, right? But, but the, the educational process right now is pretty old school and there hasn't been yeah. a lot of updating to it. What, what do you tell that young adolescent or young adult that's calling you and is saying, man, school is not like, I am not figuring this out. It's not working for me. What, what's out there for them? And, you know, a, a lot of times in the system, we're seeing them shut down and, and fail out and get, get cast out. And, you know, what do you talk to them about one? And then maybe the second question is, is, where does the education, where does, where does education go from here? And how do you see it evolving over the next 10, 20 years? It's a great question and it's, it's, it's not easy to answer, but I guess what I would say to, or what I do say to my, certainly my young adults or emerging young adult clients is there's something out there for everyone. And it sounds so cliche and silly, but it's true. And I think the hardest part is perhaps around the parents is saying, look, this isn't where they're going to find their 
joy, passion, or happiness is at your alma mater or where you think they should go or where they think they should go just based on where peers are going or what their counselors are telling them or whatever. It's like, it's really doing, and, I, and I've, I've been saying this for 15 years is, we need to focus more on high school, middle school, grammar school, on what are your, where's your interests lie and where is your skill set, right? Um, instead of here's the standardized test that we have to do. I met with a client yesterday and she's 18, she's college and she hasn't even taken the SATs and she's looking at schools that that's not a, a requirement or ACs ever because she knows that she's not she's not going to score well. I'm a horrible test taker. I'm surprised I went to college with my GPA and my test scores. But my out my other experiences and how you interview and how you interact with people that's just as important. And that's a really hard thing to get through to parents and kids as that you know you've been trained like that since preschool. So I think the shift has to happen at a very young age, and we've got to look more at what are these kids, what, are, what do you love to do? What is gonna fuel whatever fire you have in there? Um, and that's not just, you know, what's fun for me, but yeah, what's fun for me, what interests me? And then how do I apply that to a academic career or a career, or do I go to a trade school or do I go to a specialized school? Um, so I think, I'm hoping, <laughs> Andrew, that's how we make the shift. My fear is we are a long way from that. Um, just because yeah, we've got to go through this for a few generations, I think. Nothing like having a, nothing like having a big old number stamped on your forehead <laughs> to determine, yeah. your, to determine your future. Right. I mean, we, yeah. you know, that, that, that was always my beef with the, the standardized tests. I did okay on them, but yeah. I, mean, I worked my butt off and had a pretty dang good GPA and yeah. it just feels so unfair but whatever right um yeah you know it kind of is what it is sadly but i do think their shift i think the whole sat thing and the standardized testing i do feel a shift in the industry and the thinking and all of that um you know the other thing i i think that gets in some of the you know gets in the way of a lot of this you know success in academics is you know we test our kids out the wazoo about what they are what they aren't what they're labeled as what kinds of supports are they getting what supports do they need and you know i think we're focusing so much on that we for forgot we forget to look at that student as a person <laughs> you know we look at them as they're okay they've got this learning disability let's try to get an iep we've got this you know diagnoses let's try to get you know, this medication, let's try to get this intervention, you know, we're really, I think a lot of it could be dealt with um, by certainly just working hard, finding the right environment, having the right supports in place, of course, but um, I, I think there's just too much, sometimes there's too much scaffolding around these kids, um, so they're not able to, to, like you just said, work your butt off, a lot of them aren't because they're not being required to, right? Um, they're getting this accommodation. They don't have to do this. They don't have to do that. They're excused from this extra time here and there. And I get it. There are very legitimate cases where that is absolutely necessary. But I think a lot of it, at least I'm seeing in my practice, is that some of that is actually crippling them, you know, um, and, 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 it, and that's a long-term effect. So what we're talking about are um young adults, emerging adults, adolescents, and their parents trying to get out of this mold and break the mold of, hey, the, the traditional college, you know, Ivy League, whatever that may be, or 
very successful college experience may not work for this young person. Who has a harder time letting go of that in your experience, the parents or the or the young person? Well, it's absolutely mixed, but I would say the parents have a harder time with that um, because I think they they think if um, you know they don't get the college education or the traditional college education or training or whatever, they're not going to make a living. They're not going to be happy. They're never going to you know they look so far down the road that it's like look at they can find their way. I mean, you find your way if you have the ability to stay afloat, you know, um, and the staying afloat part is what I'm seeing more and more that that is just not happening. They're not staying afloat. I talk to my friends now with kids in their, you know, they're in the college and whatever. And the expectation now is that kids are coming home after college to live for a while and, and, um, you know, figure it out. Well, I'd say let's figure it out before you spend, you know, 50 grand a year on a college education. Um, you know, that's the other thing too, is the amount of money people are spending on, on sort of a misguided path, if, if for lack of a better term. But, um, you know, I, I think that's really what I'm seeing more and more of is, is the ability to, 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 to work through these things or say, you know, this isn't working for me. <laughs> um, and having the, the, uh, confidence to say that not only to parents, but to peers and, you know, professionals and, and all of that. So that's really where, you know, I do a lot of the focus in my practice is on what, what do we want? What do, what's our end goal? Oh, I want my kid to be happy. Okay. Well, they're miserable. So let's try to figure out why that is um, and, and really pull it all apart. And it's not always obviously about the academics. There's a lot more involved, but certainly we see the, you know, we see these problems starting, you know, sometimes at a very young age in school. Let's talk about helicopter parenting, lawnmower parenting, snowplow parenting. It sounds to me like that's, that's a lot of what you're dealing with, um, with these young, yeah. young people that are, that are, you know, feeling lost and, and stuck in, in sort of having unique struggles. What, where did, where did this parenting shift come from and, you know, how destructive is it and how do you address it? Yeah, I think it's very uh, destructive. I think it's, it's maybe the top three reasons why I think some of these kids aren't succeeding. And that's not a, let's blame the parents situation. It's what they're doing and they're doing it out of love and what they think is right. Um, but, you know, helicopter parent, right? When did that term come up? Maybe 20 years ago? I'm not even quite sure. I, I'm a, I was born in 1970. There was no such thing in, in my world. I'd never heard of it. Parents sort of were hands off. They let the teachers, the school, the coaches, the whatever kind of help uh, raise and, and, and shape their child as a sort of a whole community thing. So I think that maybe in the 90s that started. I don't know. I'm sure someone's got an exact year that that came came to the forefront. But you know, they hover. They make sure just because it's they're afraid. You know, they're afraid that the child's not going to succeed. They're not going to be as good as their peers. They're going to get picked on. They're going to be that kind of thing. So they kind of hover, and you know, you know, make sure they're doing it right. Let the kid do it, and then take a look at it. Maybe make some corrections if it was some kind of assignment or, or what science project or whatever. We always use the science project, right? You got dad in there with his power tools, when instead the kid should just be making a, you know, a foam orb uh, planetary system. You know, it, it's like they just kind of stepped in. So, so that started, and that came on strong, in my opinion, as far as as parents getting in there, and then. And then I'd say in the last few years, you started seeing, um, I think they're terming it, you know, lawnmower parent, 
where forget the hovering, we're just going to clear the path, right? Uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to get all the obstacles out of, out of the, out of the way. We're going to, um, you know, remove all sort of pain and difficulty and, and we don't even want them to experience that because that's going to tear them down, right? And make them not confident and all of that. When in fact, I think it does the, the absolute opposite because you don't, you know, you learn from, from difficulty, you learn from overcoming these things, um, and you learn how to how to you know correct your mistakes, and you learn how to problem solve. If never presented with a problem, you just don't learn <laughs> how to manage it. Um, obviously, you step in if things are getting a little out of control. But sort of that we're seeing it with the teeniest things. Kids can't even sign up for their own classes in college. You know, kids don't know how to look through a, a brochure online or or even look at a course. You know, a, a course catalog. I mean, it's really gotten quite ridiculous. And um, and and the parents, you know, it's been created, or the family systems has created this, and it's so hard to teach that once you're in your young adult. I mean, your brain is almost there, right? And um, and how do you even, you know, how do you even start with that? And then it's and then it's you know it's extra hard as instead of if you started when they were a child, you know. Um, and then and then the snowplow parent, they are just bulldozing through. They are you know making sure the kid gets the A's. They are changing grades. They are making the kid do extra work so they're at the top of the class. They're fine, you know. It's just it's too much. It's a lot of pressure on that kid because they then feel like, God, I owe this to my parent. They've worked so hard for my success that you then start to see a lot of giving up. You see a lot of resentment um, and you see a lot of just sort of, uh, you know, burnout from from 20 year old kids. I mean, it's it's a little bit crazy. So I would say my my the majority of my clients are still, you know, helicopter or sort of, you know, lawnmower parent. They're just trying to remove all the obstacles. I don't have a lot of those, you know, we're going to the top of the top of the school list and we're going to do everything perfectly. It's, you know, I've got, I'm dealing with a lot of kids with mental illness and drug and alcohol stuff. So, so we're sort of in the middle of the road there. It's funny because you and I are Gen X. I'm on the tail end of Gen X. And we were, the, the way I describe it, I actually presented on this at the last Wilderness Symposium and I'm, I'm speaking at Yada, but um, we, I, the way I like yeah. to say it is we, we grew up knowing our parents loved us, but not quite sure if they really liked us. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I still wonder that sometimes, Andrew. Right? We know they love us, but, but, yeah. but you know, yeah. And, and so, um, what we see for millennials is that baby boomers have raised millennials and baby boomers yeah. were not raised this way. And, right. you know, that's to me the, the missing puzzle for me. And part of what inspired this podcast is talking to people about that. Why are baby boomers and early Gen Xers raising their kids so differently than the way they were raised? And the, you, we see this all the time, very successful, driven, ambitious parents who had to be gritty, had to be tough, had to, you know, pull up yeah. their bootstraps to make something of themselves. And they're doing the total opposite with their kids. Do you, do you have an answer for that? I don't accept that. You know, I think they don't want them to quote, have to experience what I experienced. And I say to parents time and time again, but that's why you are the way you are. That's why you're successful. That's why you've, um, you've made a, a, a nice life for yourself. You, you have a nice relationship, you know, not all the time, but you know, you've, you've created these kids that have a lot of capabilities, but 
I think they're trying to forge an easier path for them and it's all in good intentions, right? It's just once they're, and, and I think it works maybe in high, in high, in grammar school, high school, great. Let's just make this a nice, happy childhood. But once you hit, once you do hit high school, once you do start, you know, that child no longer wants to hear or listen to what you have to say and they want some autonomy and they want to make their decisions for themselves. They don't know how. And, 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 and by then I think they've created sort of this situation that if left to their own devices, if parents then said, oh, well, fine, figure it out, they just really don't have the skill. It's not even the not wanting to or kids saying, you know, F you to their parents. It's really, I, I don't think they've, they've developed that skill. So it does have to start young and, and you know, that sort of resiliency piece, that grit piece, it starts as children, as babies, as toddlers. And, it, you know, I sound, I may sound like I'm from the 50s, but I, I do believe there's something to that. Um, and I think I don't, I don't have an answer to why people aren't doing except that I think they want their kids to quote be happy right um, and they don't want to get in sort of the back and forth with them and the you know whatever and I want them to like me and you know my dad said it I'm sure yours did and, and everybody in our sort of age group was you know my dad said I don't care if you like me uh, you know I'm, I'm not here for you to like me and and I know we talk about it a million times but it, it's absolutely true he said you'll like me again someday um, you know and if not I've still done my job you know, and that, and that I think is what's, what's important. You know, you didn't have kids to have to make new friends, <laughs> you know, you had kids to hopefully, you know, carry on your, your family line and, and watch what they could grow into um, instead of keeping them young and, and keeping them children. So when you're talking to a family and you've got parents that are helicopter parenting, snowplow parenting, uh, what, what do you say? What's your conversation sound like? How do you get through to that family that's going, but, but Maureen, we're doing, we're trying, you know, like you say, it's very well intentioned, but we're trying to do the best for our child. We want to give them these opportunities. Maybe they start recognizing, it, but they're having a hard time breaking that pattern. What would you say to those parents to get through? a lot about tell me about your childhood you know if you can get them revisiting their childhood now there's also families that have lots of pain and trauma and all that but you know the average family if you get them talking about where where do they think they found their success and they ramble off everything that they're not doing um they're they often are able to make that connection and i've had parents absolutely say oh my god you know, um, and I and I what I say, you know, and a lot of people and certainly in our generation, you know, oh, my dad was a hard ass. He was kind of, you know, it could be mean about it. My mom was this, my whatever. I'm like, there is a way to do it where you don't have to be sort of this snarly, you know, you know, colonel in the house sort of barking out orders. There's a way to have sort of teach that grit and resiliency, but also with a loving heart, you know, um, and, and, and some, some soft handling, but, but the expectation doesn't change, you know, and I think that's where they're not sure how to balance that because if they, if they put a boundary down, right, or put an expectation out there, um, then all the they think about is, oh my God, my dad used to do that to me, or my mom used to do that to me. But most of the time, they did it in a in a in a in a, a different kind of approach. You know what I mean? The end goal can be the same, or the end sort of um, expectation, or the expectation can be the same. It can just be it can just be presented differently. Um, and and so when I talk to them about that, um, 
they tend to say, all right, at least let's give it a try, you know? And these are families where it's just not so far gone that we've got to get kids out of the house and get them to treatment and that kind of thing. But if you can coach them through it and little lessons one at a time, you know, this isn't a big old, here you go, here's 50 things you need to do differently with your child. But let's start with, uh, no, you don't use your phone at the table or uh, no, you do your homework before you get on a video game or no, you can't play five hours of video games. You play one and if you lose, you know, if you don't do that, we don't have video games. So, you know, it's it's these little basic things and, you know, it sounds silly, but those are the conversations about phone, video game, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, curfew. How do the how do the young the young people usually respond? How are these millennials responding to those that new approach in your experience? Yeah, no, not well a lot of the time. Um, a lot of the time there's a lot of, there's, you know, I always tell parents it's going to get, might get worse before it gets better. And if they're unable to abide by those rules and, and um, sort of boundaries that are set, then we've got to look at a different approach as far as can we live together right now? Can, can this child succeed in this house? Um, can we as a family grow in a, in a positive direction? If the answer is no and we've tried everything and, and have had outside help in and therapy if that's necessary and all sorts of things, then, you know, sometimes you have to put that strong boundary down. And that's that's really the hardest um, is saying you, you either <laughs> this is what you do or we're going to plan B, C, or D. Remove from the but honestly, when I talk to... Yeah, but when I talk to the young adults, usually I do the same with them as far as what is your end goal? Man, I want to get out of here. I want to get on my own. I want to be successful. I want to be a this, that, or the other. Great. Let me tell you how to get there. These are the steps. And if you can do it in a way that it's, you know, I'm putting this into your hands and I'm going to guide you through it. We don't even really have to bring your parents into this except when absolutely necessary. Let's you and I do this and whatever professionals are or, or whatever we're looking at as far as resources, they tend to respond, you know, unless they're just, you know, belligerent and angry and they've got other stuff going on that we need to treat. Wow, that's awesome. Um, when you presented on GRIT last year, or was it, I can't remember how long ago it was, I sat in on your workshop that I loved. In Boston, I think, yeah. In Boston. What... Will you will you tell us the story about skiing that day skiing with your dad? I love that story. Yeah, yeah. You know, because when I when I started, I've really been, you know, the grit, the resiliency, the resolve, that all those kinds of ideas about you know how you're raised and who you become. You know, I started thinking like, gosh, when why don't when do I remember having that instilled in me? Because I know for me, it's it's one of my, you know, my best qualities. And I, I have no one to thank other than my parents, because that's what they taught, especially my father. So I tried to remember like, okay, what's my first memory of that? And, and I, I, it came like screaming at me like, oh my God, skiing in Vermont when I was six. And um, you know, I was cold and scared and little, and here I am trudging up, and my dad, you know, is like, we're going to learn how to ski, and so we go up the little T-bar, and, and we get off, and I'm, you know, bundled up like a little snowman, and, and uh, you know, off we go, and he's sort of in his <laughs> delicate way, uh, you know, is sort of barking out instruction, and, and you know, how you turn and keep your head up and don't move your hips. And I'm like, I don't even know where I am right now. What is happening? You know, so in his fashion, you know, it starts getting frustrated and frustrated and I'm crying and it's just a terrible experience, quite frankly. 
And you know, at one point he said, look, I'm, I'm not doing this. I, you, you, you're not paying attention. You know, I, I need you to pay attention. And I wasn't, I was sort of moping and, and being a baby and crying and I wanted to go in and, you know, granted I was six, I get it. That's sort of a natural rela- reaction. But so anyway, long story short, he said, I, I gotta go, I'm gonna go, I gotta go. Um, you know, you're gonna figure this out. Uh, you, you have the skill, I was able to do it. I was doing what he was telling me to. I just wasn't, didn't seem to be enjoying myself too much. And, you know, so he said, that's it. And he left <laughs> and, you know, uh, he, he left. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do? I'm in, I'm on this mountain, I'm on this slope. There's, I don't have a lot of options. You know, I can sit here and feel like I might freeze to death or I can get down this hill. So I got down the hill and I remembered what he said. And I talked to myself about turning the pizza pie and holding the, you know, holding the lunch tray and don't spill my milk and all those lessons you skiers out there will, will remember. But, um, I got down and, and, and I got back in line by myself. And what I did not know is that my father had skied down and and went into the lodge and watched me out the window. Um, and he said later, you know, he said to me, you know, when I was a grown up or late teens or whatever, he said, you know, I didn't know what to do. And it was the hardest thing I had to do, but I knew I had to do it. I knew if I stayed there, I took you in, I took, we would have lost you to, we wouldn't have skied again. It it would have been, it would have been the end for our experience. And, and I think about that and I'm not, I'm not only so grateful for that experience. And again, I had a lifetime of those lessons, but not only did I learn, like you pick yourself up, you can muscle through it, you can do it. But, but the opportunities that I would have missed out on, not only with peers and I went to college in Colorado and I skiing has been my life uh, and a big part of my life ever since, but my experiences skiing with my father are some of the most lovely memories I have in my lifetime. And we wouldn't have had that if he hadn't trusted me and, and, and believed in me and he believed in me. He knew I could do it. And I think that's where we get a little lost with parents is that when you, when you rescue your kid or you make it easy for them, or you pave the way or you you mow the lawn, you mow the path, what you're really, what they're hearing a lot of the times and seeing is they don't think I can do it on my own. And, and I, when I, when I present it like that to, to parents, I mean, <laughs> they're, they don't know what to say. They're like, wow, I never thought of it that way. But that's truly, that's right. Like you think of little kids, right? When they're learning to walk and when they fall down, what do they do? You know, they look right to their mom or their dad. And, and if mom and dad are clapping and saying, good job, and you can get up and they're smiling, I mean, how, that kid gets up and they try it again. Now, if you come screaming over and pick them up and are you okay and whatever, they think, oh my God, something's wrong. I, I, I can't, I can't try that again. <laughs> you know, I'm upsetting my mother. And so anyway, that's, that's my very long story of my first memory of, of really understanding. And I think my dad understanding like, this is how I have to do it. And it's going to hurt sometimes, not only the child, but, but the parent as well. I love that story. And I can yeah. relate. I can relate in a lot of ways. I'm just the youngest of five, so I was kind of raised by the village, and there was definitely an understanding. Man, when I started whining, not only were my parents like, "We don't do that," I had older siblings being like, "Hey, no, that's not you know that family culture, that sort of village thing." And and yeah, I it's so it's so fun to hear those stories. I love it. Well, 
Yeah, and it's funny. I just had this conversation with a with a family of mine. The parents um, and the parents are, you know, super, you know, successful. They've worked hard their whole life. The mother and I have a similar history as, you know, the Irish Catholic parents and, um, you know, going to Catholic school. And and she she's like, Maureen, I mean, grit and resiliency. That's that's my that's what my genetic makeup is. I said, I get it. And their son is quite fragile, um, and 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 doesn't have a lot of grit and resilience. He's a good kid. He's, you know, he's, he has all the potential in the world, but he's, he's victimized. There's a lot going on for him. But she said, Maureen, I don't understand. Like we didn't raise him this way. And I, and I know that they didn't, they, they had quite an influence on him to be resilient. And I said, it's a different world, right? You were raised by the village, as you say, these kids are being raised by internet and, 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 uh, you know, social media. There's so many out, outside influences. Teachers can't discipline, coaches can't, you know, you know, set the boundaries. I mean, it's just a whole different world. And I said, so, you know, parent input now is, is quite minimal in a lot of ways, um, unless you make it so, and unless your kid is, you know, really, you know, responds to that. But if they start getting into all that other stuff, you've got an onslaught of, of other values coming in and other ways of doing things that you can't control. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I went to dinner with a family from Boston a couple of weeks ago and the mom told me, and you got to confirm this because I've never heard of this, but I, I'm aware it happens. But she she went to her son's basketball game and the rule, the rule in the stands was no clapping, no cheering, nothing. And that was the rule. If you were going to be a parent and you were going to watch your kid play, that was the deal. And she sat there and she said she was sitting on her hands and she was trying so oh hard. And this, this kid came down on the other team and took a, like a half-court shot at the end of the buzzer and she jumped up and screamed, miss it. And the refs stopped oh. the game and you're out of here. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I mean, I haven't experienced that yet, but it's getting so crazy. And I, this, where I, where I feel a little sad about it is, I don't, I don't know if it's going to change. You know, I, I don't think it's certainly going to quote go back uh, to the way things were. And again, we don't want to go back to the way things were in in, in much of the world. But, um, but that part of it, it's going to take a movement. You know, it's going to really take a enough is enough kind of attitude. Um, and I don't, I just, you know, it saddens, me, it saddens me a little bit, but if you can do it one family at a time, you hope this next generation maybe starts raising their kids um, the way the generation two prior, you know, the, the other folks did, not, you know, baby boomers or whatever you want to call them in, in, in all the healthy ways. Now there's a lot of ways it wasn't healthy, but in this part of it, I really feel strongly that it's a huge, component um that's just missing and I, I might be biased because because of what we do but i feel like the the word grit and resilience has started coming out and, and the importance of failure to success i feel like that conversation is starting to come out and be a lot more prevalent oh. i actually think in in my experience talking to millennials and even clients in my program they're aware they're saying, yeah. like, I've, I've heard some of our very own clients because I ask them about all this and they're like, yeah, we're not gritty enough as a generation. We were, yeah. we all got trophies for everything. They're aware. And, and I love that about millennials is they're not sitting here going, they're not clueless. They're going, yeah, yeah we were yeah. really babied and we got to toughen up. And, you know, some are yeah. a little more aware than others, but 
they really like the conversation. When I start talking to them about grit, I see the lights yeah. go on and be like, man, you mean, you mean I have a lot more influence over my life than I thought. I thought I was just this way, either not smart totally. or smarter or talented in this and not in that. And it's like, no, man, like this is the thing that will really benefit your future more than anything else. Forget the, forget the stamp on your forehead about the SAT score. You didn't get into the school you wanted. Heaven forbid the world's falling apart. No, like, no. like yeah. they're very successful, happy, thriving yeah. people that graduated from community colleges everywhere. Totally. Or didn't even go to college. But I, and I think honestly, when you think of grit, resiliency, it, it never conjures up something negative, right? It's always like the person overcoming, you know, I just was uh, watching the news and someone was talking about that movie Stronger about the Boston bombings and the marathon bombings. And there's a movie coming out about one of the survivors who lost both his legs. And, you know, the whole movie, as you can see from the trailer is like, you can do it and let's get behind you and pick you up. And, you know, you got grid and, and now he's walking and he's on shows and all this and that. So we it's kind of, it's funny. And I, I was thinking about before getting on with you, like, why don't we expect that from kids that are struggling either with learning issues or mental health issues or, or whatever? Like, why don't we get behind them in the same way? And like, you can do this. Like, this is something you can do. Here are your tools. This man now has prosthetic legs. Okay, well, let's use what tools we can for you, whether it's meditation, whether it's, you know, yoga, whether it's medication. I mean, sometimes that's what it is. But you know, let's rally around and expect more. It's like we don't expect, we expect those people. We expect that guy to lose his two legs to get back up and, you know, you know, use what he can and, you know, let's get him to a place of success. I don't care how little it is or whatever. And I think that's what you guys um, and other, you know, outdoor behavioral health kinds of programs is built into the design of the program, right? Your, your program does, and that's what other outdoor behavioral health programs do naturally, right? Um, you know, you, you're sort of building from day one that, 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 this is what we expect. You know, you can do it, right? How are we going to get you there? What are the tools you're going to use? But it's designed to to instill uh, resiliency and grit. And like you must see it all the time when these young people big smiles when they accomplish something they probably thought they could never do, and their parents never thought they could do. You know, um, so I think it's a great intervention um, for a lot of these kids, and it in in the short amount of time that maybe you're with them, it can instill years of that grit and that resiliency and that ability to understand their resolve and that they know they can do it. And that's a huge gift, you know, to, to learn um, in that short amount of time. Now, what you do with it next, of course, is always the, <laughs> is always the um, you know, the puzzle, but, and then working with the parents always on top of it about how to continue on with those lessons. How do you how do you define or describe grit to young people? Yeah, I think grit for me is, you know, um, working through what makes you comfortable um, in uh, identifying um, how you could do it differently. Um, if you've been, if you're struggling, um, can you work through it? Because it's not going to go away. Like, High school, it's not you got to graduate school. How are we going to do this? It's not working, you're doing it and you're falling down a lot. Um, so, how do you 
work through parents working through the process it's okay to be a little bit uncomfortable while you're how to do it you know what I'm, I'm saying it's like grit doesn't happen overnight right I mean grit is working through and trying and trying and trying again and you know I think of Elon Musk you know from Tesla um, and how many failures that guy had I mean a lot of failures and ever. and most people you look Look at. I mean, look at all these successful people. Um, was like, oh, I'm going to be that person. I'm like, really? Okay, let me let me bring you what they went through to get to where they are. Have the grit and the resiliency to to go through those things. Not that everybody has to go through all of that. You can have great success first time out, but it does often require, um, you know, like tires falling down, breaking down, whatever it is. And then, um, okay, what do I do with that failure? What do I do with that struggle? We're all going to have them. There's no way to get through life without them. But um, that's kind of how I feel about a grit. You know, we see advertisements of, you know, athletes and all that. And, you know, I'm not saying they don't have, but, but true grit to me is really having a, learning disability and trying to get through that English essay and I can't do it and I'm struggling I mean to get through that is grittier than a natural born athlete that you know <laughs> is, is playing a sport club uh, so so many other examples of clients I've had that have had to tr show tremendous grit to uh, overcome mental illness if it's possible or understand the skills they need to, to build to work through their learning disability that's to me is the grit I see every day you know um, and facing facing pain you know um, trauma I mean you guys see probably trauma on a daily basis how you got to get through that stuff <laughs> you can't just medicate that stuff away you know um, so so that to me is is the real real grit of okay i've got to work through the loss of a, a mother and i also have to get through freshman year of college you know how am i going to do that um so that's that's the part of grit that i think sort of ignored when i think it's actually the most um the most you know i don't know the most uh impressive um so and who you want to learn from i mean some of these kids as you know they're still walking around sometimes with what they've had to endure, but you still have to walk around. So that's the important part of treatment. I think that we're finally coming around to, um, and I hope it continues. Last question for you. And um, what, what's your advice for young people? What's your advice for the call, uh, the young college person or the late high school person, that young millennial that wants more grit, wants more perseverance, is struggling, and or just a little lost? Yeah. Well, I think time for self-reflection and uh, not to sound all new and agey, but you gotta slow things down and look at what what that speaks to me, right? What am I doing? Am I, you know, I'm, I'm majoring in math. Is that what I love? No. Okay. Let's decide what, you know, and I think they should do this in, in high school, college, grammar school, whatever is a, is sort of a, 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 an interest assessment and, and take that seriously. You know, as a recreation therapist, that's, that's a, 
that's hugely important to me as much as any kind of neuropsych you put out there, to be honest. Um, so I would say slow things down. I, you've got to get off those, the, you've got to get off the technology a bit. Um, you know, and I, I don't want to sound like an old lady, it's not going anywhere. And I understand that, but you've read every study out there right now, right? As far as technology and, and relationships and how all relating. So I think much more needs to go into that and the research of that. But that's why all kids, you know, put it down, put it down and start to think of, um, you know, what, what's, where your passion comes from, where your joy is, who are you connecting to? And are they real connections? I mean, I think that's the other piece too, is that whole relationship connection piece that a lot of this, the generation doesn't have. Um, and I don't mean connection online, right? You mean human personal contact and connection. So, um, so that's what I would say, and, and certainly follow your path that speaks you try not look too much to your peers. Try not to. Um, you have to fulfill the right. What's what are your dreams? And really, I can talk all day long to those kids, but it's really the work with the parents and the conversations with the parents that are going to really make that difference. I remember when we had dinner a couple months ago. You said, "Get a job." Get, just go get a job. And, and I, I liked how you framed it. You'll say it way better than I will. Oh, God. I don't remember what I said. Um, listen, I, you know, you get taught, you, we travel a lot, right? Plane, you know, trains, you, you strike a conversation. And when people find out what I do for a living, you know, they're like, oh, my God, what should I do? What thing or whatever? And I your kids have a paying job um you have to that is where they learn so much and again back to this generation of, of raising these kids where parents are like i don't want them to have to work i want them to focus on school i want them to focus on their you know their sailing or their sport or their whatever yeah i agree and had a jobs you know you you learn that's how you learn to balance your life and that's how you learn responsibility i mean i'm shocked at how many kids don't about getting their license. Uh, they don't have a job really to get to, or if they do, their parents are driving them around or whatever. But the job is what teaches you value of A money, which are a lot of our clients, you know, they don't understand that. That's not something we really had to worry about. But earn money is something that, I mean, I, there's no other experience like it, in my opinion. You know, it's like, wow, I worked, I got paid, <laughs> this is my money. Um, I can do what I want with it. But I just think that that can do one thing is is have your kids work have them work I'm not saying they got to work a full-time job and go to high school but um they've got to do that and which is a, a, a ton of stuff they're never going to learn out maureen um this has been this has been awesome i it's bro it's broken up a little bit on the tail end of our conversation you can still grab the ideas and i'm going to go through and, and make sure that we can capture our conversation I've loved it. If someone wants to get a hold of you, how do how can they find you? Email, social medias. Yeah, they can, they can email me. Um, you know, Brennan Family Consulting is also on Facebook, um, but email is really a great way to to find me um, on my website, which is you know, like I said, brennanfamilyconsulting.com. And uh, you know, my email is brennanfamilyconsulting.com. So so that's probably the best way. And I uh, give it to people as soon as I possible. Okay. Brandonfamilyconsulting.com. 
Maureen, this was awesome. There, there will be a follow-up conversation. I'm definitely going to uh, bring you back yeah. on at some point. And I've been looking forward to this all week. It was really fun to chat with you. Yeah, me too. Always a pleasure, Andrew. I appreciate it so much. All right. Take care.